Hello, I'm Joyce Chang, Chair of Global Research, and welcome to JP Morgan TV. Today, we are here to discuss the recently published cost of living surveys that are published by our US and European retail analysts. These are very comprehensive surveys that include responses from 5,000 consumers across Germany, France, Spain, the United Kingdom, and the United States. The surveys provide a pulse check on consumer sentiment and spending plans ahead. In addition, the JPMorgan Chase Institute has also taken a closer look at how U.S. households are managing their balances. They've examined the level of cash buffers that are being maintained, and we have, and have also analyzed a sample of declassified data covering 19 million individuals that spans the period from 2008 through early 2023. Well, putting this all together, overall, the surveys paint a picture of rising income disparities deteriorating consumer sentiment alongside lower cash balances. And we see that Black and Hispanic families in the U.S. are experiencing a more rapid reversal of cash buffers and savings accumulated during the pandemic. So I am very pleased to be joined today to discuss these topics by Matt Boss, our top-ranked U.S. retail analyst who's based in New York City, Georgina Johanan, our head of European General Retail based in London, and Chris Wheat, president of the J.P. Morgan Chase Institute, based in Washington, D.C. Thank you all for joining us today. Matt, let me just start off with you with the first question. Now, you've talked a lot about the rising costs for essential goods, which you refer to as the big five, meaning housing, food, utilities, gas, and healthcare, the essential services. So can you just give us an idea of what is happening with respect to salary increases? Is this keeping up with the cost of living? And how is the cost of living um, and the rising costs impacting household expenditures when you look at high income versus low income and middle income consumers? Thanks for the question, Joyce. Um, so the big five consumer expenditures for the lowest income quintile represented just over 80% of overall household expenditures in 2022. Actually, it was up 270 basis points above 2019, while for the highest income quintile, the big five expenditures, as you cited, housing, food, utilities, gas, and healthcare, represented only 55% overall household expenditures. Uh, and that was actually 30 basis points below 2019. So what I think it really illustrates is this bifurcation in consumer spending capacity across the low income versus high income consumer base. Um, really what you're seeing is income to essential expenditure, the spread really inflected. So up 170 basis points in 2023. And what's happening is that's as inflation cooled faster than wage moderation. In 2024, look, uh, and, and the basis of what, we're, uh, what our survey really points to is, I think the negative is you could really see this equation flip and that spread falling back into negative territory. We see it as almost 100 basis points moving back negative, and that's really based on higher wage deceleration and the elevated costs more so of housing as well as energy prices, which is really becoming hot button uh, from our consumer survey. Uh, the most deteriorating change that I would cite today versus six months ago within our survey 
it was at the low income and actually at the middle income demographic. Roughly 60% of low to middle income consumers are not seeing a salary increase today versus six months ago. That's nine points worse than our survey, which we did back in September. The interesting thing is the higher income consumer actually improved. Their outlook improved by a thousand basis points or 10 points. Um, and the second is that more than 50% of consumers surveyed today do not believe that they have adequate savings to support their standard of living. That is 500 basis points worse than September or six months ago. And the biggest spike took place at the middle income demographic. Thank you so much, Matt, for those insights. We really do see that it is the lower income that is taking um, you know, more of a hit um, at this point in time. I'd like to turn to Georgina and take a look at the European consumer. Now, in the survey, European consumers appear more worried than those in the U.S., which was different than what we saw six months ago. What are some of the differences between countries in Europe on spending trends? And how has this changed over the last six months? And where do you feel that the anxiety has increased the most from the survey results? Hi, Joyce. Thanks for having me. Um, it's been an interesting six months. When I look at clothing spend across the European markets, it's held up very well, all things considered. Um, on average, in Europe, clothing sales are up high single-digit percentage year on year or uh, mid-single-digit percentage versus pre-crisis levels. Now, of course, there's some inflation in there, but nevertheless, it suggests broadly flat or even slightly positive volumes. I'm going to look at how that differs between countries. Spain has been very clearly the strongest market in clothing spend, up double-digit percentage uh, versus pre-crisis levels and also year-on-year, year. whereas Germany has been the weakest of the large clothing markets that we focus on, um, only marginally up on the same basis. The UK has been somewhere in the middle, but in very clear positive territory. When we look at how responses from our survey have changed over the past six months since we last ran it, um, there's actually been a clear divergence between markets. Sequentially, the UK consumer outlook has improved, and we can see this in responses, um, in consumer responses, when asked about their personal circumstances. So the UK saw the biggest improvement versus March. Also, when looking at the discretionary spending outlook, in the UK, the net balance was the most encouraging in Europe, albeit still negative um, at minus 19%. In contrast, in Germany, the outlook for personal circumstances deteriorated. And actually, it was the only country where the outlook got worse versus March. The other market where we saw some standout signs of incremental weakness relative to six months ago was France. So, for example, in terms of big ticket spending, the negative net balance on the outlook for DIY in France was only what was only minus one percent in March, but this actually dropped to minus twenty-two percent in our most recent poll. Similarly, in terms of how consumers expect their non-essential spending to trend over the next twelve months, the largest negative net balance was in France at minus thirty-one percent, and recall this compares to only minus nineteen percent in the UK. So, according to our survey, consumers in the UK holding up better but getting worse in Germany and also in France. Thank you so much for those insights, Georgina. So we do see that European consumers are actually um, you know, less willing to spend than those in the US. The US and the UK are the two countries that really have stood out as being more willing to spend. I'd like to now turn to Chris Sweet, president of the JP Morgan Chase Institute. 
So Chris, um, you've been researching this topic for a number of years, and you've pointed out that individual cash buffers often vary widely month to month. So how much has the cash buffer declined from the peak that was reached back in April of 2022 after tax return distributions? And how do the cash buffers compare for households that are in the highest income quartile compared to those who are in the lowest income quartile? Thanks, Joyce. That's a really good question. Well, one thing that's uh, helpful to remember is that we're looking both at uh, cash buffers and cash balances, which are two related ways to look at the same phenomenon. We both look at the absolute levels that people are holding in their accounts and um, a relative view on that that's looking at balances divided by what people typically spend to give you kind of a sense of runway. And across all of those analyses, we've seen the same pattern of balances going up really high. Um, and then falling down, as you, as you call out, there was a little bit of a peak in April 22, right after tax payments went out, um, and then they've been trending down since there. One thing that's important to understand from our data is that we have this amazing lens um, that allows us to see the individual variation and in what's happening with those families' positions. And that variation is, is, is really important because any individual family in any given month could be really quite high or really quite low overall to the overall trend, um, which is part of what we've tried to keep an eye on as we've thought about the, the way it's projected over the last couple of years is folks have been wondering what's gonna happen as the economy maybe gets back to a place that looks more familiar. Um, but overall, that that median really has been trending down um, both in terms of relative balances um, and in terms of cash buffers to things that are similar to what we saw um, prior to the pandemic. Uh, they're still up a little bit, but the overall behaviors are starting to look the same in terms of how families are responding in terms of shifting their income and spending to, to manage that balance to a certain level. Um, it's true that there's some differences across income groups. The fall really was the biggest for the lowest income families, but that's uh, in part because the increase was so large for those uh, lower income families to begin with. Um, right after the Payments went out from uh, the EAP program um, in 2021. Uh, we really saw those levels really, really high. They're almost doubled for those low-income families. So the fact that they've come down a lot um, is relative to that really high position. And now we're seeing relative balances across groups uh, really being 10 to 15% up around the end of the first quarter. So they really converged in relative levels. Now, of course, it's the case that higher-income families um, have had both consistently higher um, balances and cash buffers. Um, so both those lenses throughout this period on average, uh, so it just means that the gap is back to about where it was before 2019. Thank you so much, Chris, for those insights. So once again, we see that this effect is being disproportionately felt in the lower income quartiles. Matt, I have a second question for you. You've noted that credit card delinquencies are clearly trending higher We've seen that mortgage rates have practically doubled, and the student payments also resumed this month. So you've um, talked a lot about just um, how these expenses are increasing. How do you think this is going to impact consumer balance sheet and spending patterns? So on the credit card front, the issue is really twofold. First, credit card debt increased in a mid-teens pace in this latest quarter, and that's 15% greater than the trailing 12 months. It actually represented the fastest pace of credit card debt growth year over year that we've experienced in over 20 years. And then second, and really in my opinion, compounding the issue of discretionary spending capacity, 
the average credit card interest rate carries a 21% interest rate today, and that's relative to 15% in 2021, uh, as well as 2019. So 500 basis point increase in the average rate combined with the pace at which credit card debt is increasing. It ties actually directly to this survey of consumer spending intentions where 45% of U.S. respondents cited an intention to reduce the amount of spend using credit as a result of the increased cost of borrowing. If you look, think about a, an illustrative example, if you hold the median credit card debt balance today, which is $1,600 for the low income consumer constant, and you apply today's APR of roughly 21% versus 15% in 2019 or pre-pandemic, it would equate to a 37% increase in the overall monthly interest payment owed. Uh, which I think really, again, speaks to an additional tax on this low to middle income consumer. They're also facing it, if you think about it, in two incremental ways. First is on the mortgage side with the U.S. 30-year fixed mortgage rate standing over 7% today. That's the highest fixed mortgage rate seen in the U.S. since September of 2001. It's nearly double where we were in 2019. Uh, and then secondly, on the student loan front, and this would be an, a new headwind that really begins uh, this fall, uh, student debt repayments are tracking at pace, but as a result of one of the additional takeaway from our survey, low to middle income consumers is where, they're, is where we're fielding the most concern. 88% um, of consumers uh, expect to reduce their non-essential spending in the coming months, that's the consumers that have exposure to student loans that are now uh, coming due. And specifically, 50% of those consumers expect to reduce their non-essential spending by more than 10%. If we translate this to our, to our coverage and the retail space, uh, trade down recipients, that was one of the uh, takeaways from the survey. Uh, a thousand basis point increase in consumer intention to trade down. For us, the beneficiaries would be the off-price retailers, TJ Maxx, Ross Stores. Uh, categorically, one of the big takeaways from our survey was casual and athletic. It makes sense. That's where the largest total addressable market lies, in, in our view, across the global brands. That would be Lululemon and Nike on the positive side. And I would say conversely, looking at exposure to the low to middle income consumer demographic, where we would be uh, and, and have the most exposure across our coverage universe would be Dollar General, uh, which makes sense on low to middle income consumer, Bath and Body Works, Kohl's, Victoria's Secret, and Foot Locker. And as you think about interest rate sensitivity, and large ticket purchases, it would be Brunswick on the on the boating side and Big Lots on the furniture side. Uh, as you look at top line performance, historically, the most inversely correlated with higher interest rates. Thank you so much, Matt. So Georgina, I have a second question for you. What are the key shifts that you're seeing in spending priorities? And how are European consumers weighing the trade-offs between spending and saving, 
you've mentioned a shift of preference for clothing, but at the same time, you've also raised the possibility of clothing price deflation in 2024. So perhaps first on savings. Across European markets, close to 20% of respondents said that they have now spent what they considered to be excess savings from during the pandemic. This leaves almost 40% of consumers that do still have pandemic savings. However, almost two thirds of those said that they're actually now done with spending their savings given the higher interest rates. So as has been much discussed, it seems that the support from savings balances should increasingly be falling away. In terms of the shift in priorities um, when consumers are still spending, I think this was one of the most interesting things to actually come out of the September survey. There was really a marked shift. Um, Clothing is now a priority category for over 40% of consumers. And this compares to only around 20% for the last couple of surveys that we've run. So it's a real spark. In contrast, holidays, which have consistently ranked as top priority, actually fell to being a favoured category for only 24% of consumers. And this compared to around 45% in previous surveys. We've been asked a number of times since we published the results whether seasonality could have been affecting this number, and if not, why we think there's been a marked shift. It's not seasonality. We've looked back at the results not only from March this year, but also September last year. And there's been a marked change since then as well. Um, We actually don't have a good explanation for the shift um, into clothing. I wonder if it's more about holidays falling down in the hierarchy and therefore clothing moving up by default. In fact, we're somewhat worried about the outlook for European clothing spend next year. Um, Over the last couple of years, clothing retailers have experienced higher costs from their suppliers and the retailers have put clothing prices up to compensate. These price increases have supported top line growth for the sector. However, now that these input cost pressures have materially reversed, we do think prices for consumers also need to come down given how competitive the clothing market is. So we expect deflation of up to a mid-single digit percentage in some markets next year, and particularly the UK. Whereas normally one might expect a positive volume response to lower prices, we think the volumes are already elevated. And indeed, in our survey, we asked consumers if clothing prices come down, how they'd react. Only 25% said that they would buy more items. Actually, almost 60% said that they would buy the same volumes and instead make savings as a result of lower prices. Uh, This was similar across most European markets, although most notable in Spain. So really quite supportive of our view that there could be some risk to sector top lines next year. Thank you, Georgina, for really walking us through some of those um, shifts in spending priorities that we've seen over the course of this year. So, Chris, let me ask you a follow-on questions. Can you talk to us about the differences in cash factors by race? The J.P. Morgan Chase data indicates that Black and Hispanic families experienced relative gains when you go back from 2017 to 2021 compared to both Asian and white households. However, it seems that Black and Hispanic families have experienced a more rapid reversal of cash buffer gains. Where's the racial gap now compared to the levels that we saw before the pandemic? That's also a really uh, interesting question and something that we looked at, again, across um, both of the studies that we looked at and some other work as well. The balances we saw um, for Black and Hispanic families really were quite a bit higher um, by the time you get to the end of uh, 2021. Um, and that's not just uh, the, the pandemic period, right, but a period going back uh, uh, before the pandemic as well. 
before the pandemic, um, what we think was happening, and we looked at this in another piece of research, uh, there was a really tight labor market. Um, and a lot of people sort of theorized about what would happen um, if we had an extended tight labor market. Um, and that was a question we were quite interested in before the pandemic as well, um, where you see stronger uh, labor market gains for lower income families, and in this case, black and Hispanic families. And that's exactly what we saw. Um, and then right in those first few years of the pandemic, as those federal programs came into play, those programs were delivering these, uh, I mean, there was some variation to it, but the, the variation in the cash delivered really didn't have anything to do with, uh, or much to do with your income or your cash balance levels, right? So families that had less to begin with saw a much bigger relative gain for those payments. So for both of those reasons, we saw um, balances for Black and Hispanic families uh, really relatively elevated um, quite a bit in a, in a very sort of sharp trajectory up relative to white and Asian families. Um, and then over time, right, so um, the labor market has been through a lot of things since then. Um, obviously, there haven't been those large federal programs, EIP in place since then. And so families, uh, both high, low income, across race, all, all families have started reverting to the kinds of management of cash that we saw prior to the pandemic, and that's caused those trends to reverse. It's true that we do see specifically for Black families um, a sharper decline in those relative gains and balances uh, in that period. But overall, um, by the time we get to the beginning of 2023, um, across all of the stuff that we've looked at, we're seeing the similar pattern where those gaps, whatever they were, however they um, decreased uh, as lower income, um, lower wealth families uh, saw more gains in the middle of the pandemic, the gaps now have kind of come back to where they were such that things in relative terms look quite a bit similar in the end of, in the beginning of 2013 as they did uh, 2019 and before. Thank you so much, Chris. So we also see a widening racial gap along with lower income brackets also taking more of a hit. Thank you all for joining us and thank you so much to Matt, Georgina, and to Chris for sharing their insights and all of you for being with us on JP Morgan TV. The survey certainly raises a number of questions on whether consumers are at an inflection point. And overall, the ratio of consumer debt to disposable income remains historically low. What we are seeing is that higher mortgage payments, credit card delinquencies, and the resumption of student loan payments are all going to weigh on US consumer sentiment. While in Europe, the consumers are more pessimistic than those in the United States. We also see greater disparities between the highest and lowest income quartiles alongside racial disparities. So a lot to watch, but we do wonder whether the consumer is at an inflection point or close to reaching one. Thank you so much for being with us today.